Great to see you today. I'm glad everybody didn't go out of town for Walton County winter break. Thank you so much for being here. I know some of you are on winter break and joining us online, so glad that you're worshiping with us as well from wherever you are. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Super Bowl Day. Is that a thing? Do people say happy Super Bowl? I don't know. Happy. Be, have a good day. Um, glad you're worshiping with us. There are two kinds of people in the world. Uh, there are people who tell a five-part story like this. One two, three, four, five, the end. All right, they're very sequential in the way they think about things and certainly in the way they communicate a story or a point. They move from one, they would say, logically to the next point, logically to the next point, to the next point, until they have made their point, and then that's it. That's one type of person, one, two, three, four, five people. Then the other type of person that is in the world tells a five-part story like this. One, four, three, five, two, one, three, seven, because they think of something totally unrelated to the story that they don't want to forget, so they throw that in. Three, four, seven, they think of something else about that story. Three, two. And then usually when they finish, they go, now what were we talking about? And those two people marry each other, right? That's, that's, that's a, that, I just described most of the marriages in this room, the one, two, three, four, five person and the other person. I don't know which person you are in the relationship, but I mention that because we're studying 1 John, which is a book almost at the very end of the Bible. Uh, if you go to the end to back up, it's probably the easiest way to find it. 1 John, written by a guy named John, and John, who writes 1 John, is very much the second person. Right? When, when, at least when he writes this letter, this 1 John letter, he doesn't group all of his topics together, which first type people, that's you, let's group them all together, let's, let's handle one thing and then we'll handle the next thing. That's not John. John introduces a subject goes away from that subject, comes back to that subject, goes away from it, comes back, goes away. He does this the whole book. Um, that means it makes it kind of difficult, because we're studying through 1 John uh, right now, it, it makes it kind of difficult just to start at the beginning and go to the end. So I'm just giving you fair warning, not so much today, but in the weeks to come. I'll kind of group some passages together where he talks about the same topic. And if you're the sequential person, I just want to prepare you for this to, to, to get yourself ready for the fact that it's going to skip around just a little bit. Uh, we, we left off in verse 4 last week, so we're going to pick up in verse 5 this week. Our, our, our theme, our, our topic you saw is big if true. And, and here's what that means for this series it means if we really believe God is true, the Bible is true, Jesus is true. If that is true, then John is going to argue that ought to be changing your life. Like, like thing, you ought to be a different person if you really believe that. Because we said last week, our beliefs always impact our behavior. And sometimes we say we believe something we don't really believe because it doesn't change. We don't do anything with that information. And if you don't do anything with information, then you probably don't really believe the information. But if it's true, if you believe it's true, it's going to have this big impact on you. That's where we are. This is uh, verse 5 of 1 John chapter 1. The Bible says, this is the message we have heard from Him, from God, and declare to you, God is light. In Him, there is no darkness 
at all. John loves the word light. If you read the gospel, especially the beginning of the gospel, this is one of the words he used to describe Jesus. The light of the world was coming. It's coming into the world. That's how he talks in, in the gospel of John. And here again, in 1 John, he's saying that God is light. There were qualities of light that John felt really depicted, personified what God is like. I think one of the reasons he likes this light-darkness contrast is because they're so distinct, right? You're never uh, in the dark and you think you're in the light, right? You're either in the light or you're in the dark. They're very distinct. They're very separate, and that's part of what John is saying. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to look different than if you weren't a follower of Jesus. And, and in his mind, light and darkness really contrast what our life would be like with Jesus as opposed to without Jesus. Now, I, I think there are a couple of specific um, uh, definitions, characteristics of light that work really well for what John is trying to say. Here's, here's one of uh, the, the characteristics of light that I think he's, he's trying to communicate about God, and it's this. God is pure and sinless. God is pure and sinless. So when John says God is light, he's getting ready to talk about our obedience to God. And so what he's trying to convey is you need to know we serve a holy God. If you, if you believe God is true, the God of the Bible is a, a, a holy, sinless pure God, and if you're following after Him, that's going to impact the way you live if you're following a God like that. Another reason I think John likes this metaphor of God is light is because God, like light, reveals Himself and reveals truth. Right? Why do you turn on a light in a dark room? You want to see. You want to know what's in the room. You want to know how to get through the room. You want to see where everything is. That's what light does. It reveals. And so John is saying, this is what God is like. God reveals himself to us. He's not hiding in the shadows. Uh, he's not playing hide and seek with us. God has been very upfront and forthcoming with who he is. Now, that doesn't mean that you and I understand everything about the mystery of who God is. I mean, there's some things about God our mind won't ever fully grasp. But the reality is God has given us enough information about who he is that we can know him, we can trust him, we can believe in him. He's revealed himself in his word. That's one of the places where God said, look, this is what I'm like. This is who I am. Trust me. Follow me. Believe in me. God revealed himself in the life of Jesus. As we read what Jesus was like, we're reading what God is like. God reveals himself through the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God has revealed much about His character and His attributes in creation. Romans 1 tells us that. God said, look, I want you to know me. I want you to see me clearly. I want to turn the lights on for you when it comes to what God is really like. Right? We, we aren't spiritually, we're not feeling our way through a dark room. Again, there's mystery. There's things we don't fully understand. But God has given us enough information about himself so that we can know 
what he's like, as opposed to, to trying to find our way through darkness. Do you, have, you, have you ever tried to find your way through a dark room? Maybe the power went out at your house at night, or the kids are asleep and you don't want to turn on the light and wake them up. It's a totally different experience trying to navigate a dark room than it is a light room. No matter how many times you've been in that room before, aren't you kind of feeling your way through a dark room, hoping you don't bust your shin on a table corner, step on a Lego, something like that, right? The depth, it's very easy to get disoriented in a dark room, right? Because you're not thinking it's three steps when you go in a lighted room. You're not thinking, okay, it's three steps to the chair. It's four steps to the table. But when you're in a dark room, you're trying to remember how far, what, how much space is there? That's not what we're doing with God. We're, we're not trying to figure Him out. He's, he's revealed Himself. He's, he's illuminated Himself for us, but the, the darkness can be disoriented. Uh, pilots are taught uh, to trust their instruments in the dark. Why? Because you get disoriented in the dark. You, you think you're higher than you actually are. You, you think that obstacles are farther away than they actually are. So trust your instruments because the darkness will be disorienting to your vision. And, 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 and the challenge for us in, in the world that we live in is sometimes we don't realize we're disoriented in the darkness. We don't realize that what we're seeing isn't actually True, again, sad, sad story, pilots have crashed into mountains, into the ground, because they thought they saw their surroundings clearly and they were in the dark. John is saying, you and I, we got to live in the light. We got to be in the light so that we see clearly, so we, so we can make sense of this life. Right? So we can interpret what's happening in life and in the world. God reveals Himself. Uh, last thing about light is that, like light, God illuminates our path so we can walk. Right? God's goal is not just to help us to know what's true or even to see what's true. God's goal is to help us to live out what's true, that we would walk. In truth, we would walk in confidence it, that it would so change us that we would be different. John's not really interested in just an intellectual understanding of spiritual matters or uh, just an intellectual or even theological understanding of a belief system. John is saying, I want you to know the truth so you actually live that way, so that you actually become that type of person. So that your habits and your, your attitudes reflect the fact that you know what's true and you know what's right. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 20, same John says, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. He didn't say whoever knows the truth. He said, whoever lives by the truth. And if you know the truth, you really know it, you really believe it. If it's true, then it's going to change you in a big way. You're going to live the truth. So when it comes to our, to our faith, 
We can't say we believe and trust God and believe and trust the Bible and it not affect our moral decisions. It will affect those. We can't be indifferent to injustice in the world if truth is working itself out in our lives. We can't be indifferent to the plight of other people. We can't we can't cut off our compassion for other people. We can't be indifferent to our own actions and their, our, our actions impact on other people. We're going to live out the truth. It's going to be evident in our lives that we believe that. Now, John continues in verse 6. and Starting in verse 6, John's going to make three if we claim statements, that's how they're all going to start. If we claim this, and then he's going to make a comment about that. Most people think that these three statements are John's way of addressing some false beliefs that are in his culture. False teachers and things that they're saying about God and spiritual life. This is John's way, without naming them by name, saying, hey, I want to I clear something up for you. So here we are, verse 6. If we claim we have fellowship with Him, with God, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. So here's one of John's big, if true, statements, arguments. If you, if you say you believe in Jesus... You claim that to be true, but there's no evidence of that in the way that you live. You live like everyone else. You live like people who don't believe in Jesus. You live in the darkness. Then something's wrong. That truth should change the way you live and interact with other people. Again, truth is not something to know. It's a way to live. It's not something just to memorize. It's not something to know. It's how we ought to live. And John says you can't know that truth. You can't really believe it. You can say you believe it, but you can't really believe the truth of Jesus and, and not live in that truth. You're living in the darkness instead. Now, now, here's what was happening in John's day. There was a group of people who were saying, um, as long as you believe in Jesus then it doesn't matter how you live. They had this dualistic idea of our spiritual and human uh, experience that went something like this. Y your spiritual life is in no way connected to your physical life. Right? Your flesh and your human body is, um, is evil in a sense. The spiritual side of you is good, and so it doesn't matter what your body does as long as you believe in Jesus. Do whatever you want, and in the first century, people who were listening to this teaching, they were doing whatever they want, whatever your imagination comes up with. That was probably what they were doing because they believed, I can believe in God, but it doesn't matter how I live. Now, that... that Probably sounds strange to uh, most of us. It, it, it is strange, this dualistic separation of how I act from my spiritual health. But I, I think 
we play similar games sometimes. I, I think sometimes we play very similar games when we say, I believe in God, but this is the person I have to be on my job. Right? Like that doesn't affect this. Well, actually, John would say, yes, it does, because it's all the same. You're, you're one person. It all matters. Or when we say, I believe in God, I, I like to come on Sunday morning, uh, I like to be a part of worship, but when I go out with my friends, I like to, and there's sort of that same separation, right? I got a spiritual side, and then I have an other side where I do other things, and I don't really see the two of those interacting with one another. Uh, phrases like um, locker room talk, like we've heard that a lot uh, in recent years, locker room talk. As if, no, that's like a separate category that doesn't affect me spiritually. And John says, oh, but it does. Like, boys will be boys. That sort of talk. John says, look, you can't be in the light and be living out darkness too. If you are in the light, it will change all of you. There won't be little segments of you that you keep separate from God. Living in the light is all in the light. And it should change everything about you. Now, the word walk, I, I think, is a key word. John is not saying, and he's going to address this next. John is not saying that if you love Jesus, you'll be perfect. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you won't walk in the dark. It won't be the pattern of your life. There won't be whole areas of your life that are disobedient to Jesus and they just don't even bother you. That won't happen if you're walking in truth. There won't be habits that just become a, a normal part of your life that are disobedient to God and you don't ever think about those. Now You won't walk. It won't be the pattern of your life to be disobedient. Later on, again, this is John kind of skipping around. Chapter 3, verse 6, John says, No one who lives in God keeps on sinning, keeps on disobeying God. No one who continues to sin has either seen Him or known Him. There won't be these patterns that you ignore in your life. You'll deal with those. You'll say, this is not right. I need to step away from that. It won't become the normal walk, the normal pattern of your life. Life, And then the opposite of that in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Like if we're both trying to walk in the light, that connects us. We're not perfect and you're honest about where you fail and I'm honest about where I fail and we're able to say, hey, help me, pray for me. I need your encouragement because I'm struggling here and I want to get away from that. John says that that's going to strengthen our relationship with one another. When we deal honestly with what is light and what is darkness in our life. Then he makes another if we claim statement. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So there was this other group of teachers who were saying, I mean, really, we're so spiritual, we don't even ever sin anymore. We don't ever disobey God anymore. And John says, come on. I was born at night. It wasn't last night, right? John's, John says, yes, you do. You struggle. I struggle. 
Everybody struggles. We all have areas. We all have the capacity to sin. And here's the good news about when we sin. Verse 10, if we claim we had not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Right? If, if this is our story, then we're saying God's not telling the truth because God has said that we are all fallen and we're all sinful. Uh, verse 10 John gets a little more specific than in verse 9. In verse 9, John is saying, if you don't understand your tendencies, if you don't understand that you have a temptation to move away from God, then you're deceived. In verse 10, John says, if you're not aware of some really specific areas in your life, then you're not paying attention. Not just in general, I have the ability to fall, but specifically, you know what's happening in your life, and I know what's happening in my life. And again, John says, just be honest. Just be real. Let's not pretend that any of us have figured all of this out. Let's be honest about our sin. Uh, John goes on. This is the beginning of verse 2. My dear children, <clears throat> I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. John says, look, we, we should be striving to be more like Jesus. That's the whole momentum of our spiritual life. Is that I want to put away things that are of darkness. I want to put away things that are disobedient. And I want to be conforming more and more and more into the image of Jesus. I'm writing this so that you more and more become this person. But the reality is you're going to fail and I'm going to fail. And the wonderful news is when that happens, Jesus is already taking care of that. Jesus has already made, John calls it, an atoning sacrifice, and he describes Jesus as our advocate. So Jesus is our attorney. Like when you blow it, Jesus is the one that goes to his father and says, Ken blew it again, and here's my righteousness and my death for his sin. Here's what I paid. I'm, I'm standing in Ken's place so that you would see my righteousness and not Ken's faults. Like sin is real, disobedience is real, we fail, hopefully they're not becoming patterns in our life, and when we fail, God has already paid the price for our sins. Two things John's saying in, with, with these ideas. The first thing John's saying is, I must take sin seriously, we must take sin seriously. We don't get to ignore areas in our life. We, we don't get to ignore failures in our life, disobedience in our life. I have to take that seriously, and the forgiveness that I can get from Christ, I get to take that seriously too, so I must take sin seriously, but I must take grace seriously too. Like, I've been forgiven, you've been forgiven, Christ died for your sins, sin is big and grace is bigger. There is no sin so big that grace cannot forgive it. Yes, let's take disobedience seriously. Let's take sin seriously. And let's take grace seriously. And let's live in that light. That we aren't perfect and we fail. And we're trying to root out sin from our life. And Jesus has made a way 
for that. If we're going to summarize that whole section, here's one way to summarize it. If Jesus is true, then obedience is big. Big if true. If Jesus is true, then I'm going to constantly look for ways to live in obedience to Him. I'm going to continually look for ways to root out any disobedience from my life. But, but John tells us something else, and this is one of those topics that he's going to come back to. We'll come back to it uh, in a few weeks. This is uh, chapter 2, verse 7. John writes, <clears throat> Dear friends, I am not writing a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Is anyone confused as to whether John is giving us an old command or a new command? Does John seem confused as to whether he is giving us an old command or a new command? It's an interesting way of writing. John says, I'm going to give you an old command. It's not a new command. JK, it's a new command. I'm going to give you a brand new command. It's not the old command. It's a new command. Very confusing. We'll talk about how it can be an old command and a new command. Let's figure out what the command is first, and then we'll figure out how it's old and new at the same time. Verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Right? Like light is the opposite of darkness. John says love is the opposite of hate. You want to know... If you are living in the light, how much love is there in your life? How well do you love the people that are around you? Now, now, the command to love is one of the commands of obedience, right? This whole time John's talking about obey and, and move away from sin. One of the ways that we obey is by loving other people. But John felt it necessary to specifically point this one out. Obey in general, get rid of sin in general. I want to specifically remind you that if you're walking in the light, you're going to love other people. Right? If Jesus is true, if I believe Jesus is true, then obedience is big. That's a big deal. But if Jesus is true, love is big as well. Love is a big deal. The priority of love and compassion and empathy in my relationships, in the way I look at the world, in the way I look at other people, in the way that I look at people who disagree with me, in the way that I look at people who are different from me, the way I love the world is a big deal. And John says, it's an old command, that's a new command. How can it be an old command and a new command? Um, when trends come back around, they're really old, 
where people start wearing what people used to wear in the 70s, we say everything that's old is new again, right? And the people who don't know that it's old think it's new. And they think they're, they have discovered this wonderful new fashion. And those of you my age are going, I wore that to prom. Right? It was, it was old. It's been around forever. We wore that in the 80s. And you think it's new. It's old, but it's new. It's old, but it's new. Records are new. Have you noticed this? Some of us are old enough, we grew up with record players and scratches. Right? If we, we had them long enough, the needle wouldn't kind of bear down. So you put a quarter on the, the top of the needle, the arm, so that it would stay down. It wouldn't skip. Right? Records are, oh, guess what? They're new now. I have three daughters. They've all bought record players in the last few years. Record Now, they don't call them records. They call them vinyls because they don't want to admit it's old. They don't want to admit they now love what their parents loved. Right? They're vinyls now. No, they're records. Right? They're old, but they're new. You see, they're, they're fresh again. They're, they're interesting again. I'm into it again. It's old, but it's new. How many of you uh, children of the 90s are really excited about the Super Bowl halftime show tonight. You can be honest, because I've seen you post about it. Right? I've, seen, I've seen the post where you've said, all you young kids need to be quiet during the halftime show. This one's for us. Right? I've seen you, children in the 90s, I know you are. I've seen you, you're all pumped about the halftime show tonight. It's old. And then it's going to be new tonight. It's like hitting refresh on your computer. Right, oh, let's, let's update. Let's get, let's get a refresh. So, did you ever, um, uh, if you took a foreign language in high school or college, and then you didn't ever use it, you never used it again, but then out of the blue, you are going to vacation in a place where you're going to need that foreign language. What would you do? You went back to what was old and you made it new, didn't you? I got to brush up on this. I got to learn this again. I got to, I got to get fluent again. Sometimes the things that are old need to be brought current. They need to be implemented now. I know they've been around a while. No, it's a long, it's a long time. But they need to be refreshed in the present moment. So that what's old becomes new. There's a verse in the book of Lamentations. It's probably the only verse. If you know a verse from Lamentation, this is probably the only one you know. Because Lamentation is a very depressing book. It's all about grieving and mourning and everything's terrible and the whole world's falling apart. Uh, which it was at the time for Israel. But then there's this one verse that some of us know. And it's, it's the verse that says... God's mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. That's the verse. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And, and that verse doesn't mean that God went out and got some new mercies since yesterday. He didn't go uncover something new to give us today. 
His mercies are ancient. He's always been compassionate. He's always been a God of love. It's just that every day I get to experience that new. I, I get a new reminder that, oh, God, God does love me. God is patient with me. God, God is compassionate towards me. His mercies are new to me every morning. And so John's trying to find a way to encourage the people who walk with Jesus to exhibit that walk by the way they love one another. And he said, look, this is an old commandment. And he could have said, Jesus gave us this. Long time, years and years ago, Jesus told us to do this. And he could have said, thousands of years before Jesus, Moses is giving us the law in Deuteronomy. And Moses told us to love God with our whole heart and love our neighbor as ourselves. This is old. This isn't something we just created. This is old. But it needs to be new in your life today. You need to hit refresh when it comes to how you interact with people. You, every day you need to hit refresh on, on, on God giving you a heart of compassion for the people that you interact with. A heart of love for the people that are around. You know how to obey God. You want to know how to walk in the light. Every day be somebody who loves. I'm, uh, and I know a lot of it is social media generated, and I don't, I don't mean to harp on that, but man, I'm amazed at how some Christians talk to each other these days. I'm just grieved at how some Christians go at each other today, and and and, and you know, not just us regular Christian folks, like Christian leaders. I was thinking this week, I'm just going to unfollow all the Christians. I'm just going to follow heathens from now on because some of the, some of the most well-known, like high-up Christian leaders and Christian circles, man, they just go after people. And John was real clear. Like, this, is a, this isn't nothing new, but it needs to be new to you. It needs to be new every day in your life. The people would know you walk in the light because when they're around you, they, they sense the love of God. Jesus said to his disciples one time, here's what's going to set you apart. Here's how they'll know you're my disciple. Here's how they'll know you follow me by your love. That's how, that'll, that'll be the authenticating measure that you live in the light, that you follow Jesus. So people, when they're around you, they have the sense of God's love. Let it be new in us. Let it be new when you get up tomorrow morning and you walk into the world. Let it be new. God, let love be new in me today. Am I walking in the light? Let it be new in the way that I love other people. The compassion, the depth of empathy I have for other people. Let it be new. God, we thank you for an old command. That's got to be new. We thank you for an old teaching. That we need to be taught again. 
Because certainly if we're walking in the light, we're going to be obedient. We're going to be rooting sin out of our life. We're not going to let disobedience become a pattern to us. And and probably more than anything, the authenticating mark that we're living in the light is going to be love. It's going to be compassion. It's going to be empathy. We see so much around us where people are drawing sides and battle lines and they're going to war with each other. Help us not to be those people. Help us to live in the light and for that to be seen by the way that we love. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.